0: This is a podcast by the Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. It's
1: time to head inside Hong Kong with Claire Huang, our Straits Times correspondent for the territory. Claire, how are you? Hi, Rachel. Always good to speak with you. Good to have you back, Claire. Now, Typhoon Kompatsu largely brought Hong Kong to a standstill, although one thing which has not stopped in the territory is the pressure Beijing is increasingly putting on it. Uh, China's top agency in Hong Kong has reportedly given the city's leaders a to-do list with 500 policy demands. Plus, even though the city has some of the lowest COVID numbers in the world, it looks like the borders will remain shut for the foreseeable future as Chief Executive Carrie Lam pursues a COVID-0 approach. First of all, hope you are keeping safe. I'm good.
0: The typhoon didn't sound or didn't feel like it was um, as bad as previously. Mungkud, I was here for that. So the sun's out today, you know, but Typhoon Kompatsu was the second storm in three days. The other one was Lion Rock. And, you know, people were gearing up for the typhoons uh, by sweeping Mm. off the shelves in the uh, supermarket. And Hong Kong was better prepared this time, I think. Uh, Workers were allowed to go home early. Arrangements were made for public transport. Schools were shut services were shut. So basically the city was largely uh, in a shutdown mode. Unfortunately the typhoon left one dead and at least 20 injured. Claire, Carrie Lam comments about the decision to keep Hong Kong's borders closed. What what did she say about this? Well in an interview on Monday uh, she said that it was her duty to ensure no fatality, basically. So the priority is clear to keep borders closed, mostly closed, in order to keep COVID cases low or zero, which is a zero COVID policy here that we have, which follows the mainland, right, and Macau. And the idea is to avoid imported cases from uh, spreading the virus to the community, which would then ease with low numbers or no numbers then it would ease the burden of the healthcare system. So the other reason that Hong Kong's borders are largely closed is because the vaccination rate is not ideal, particularly among the elderly. If you look at the rate for those aged 80 and above, Tim, Mm -hmm. um, it's about 15%. Now, the percentages are higher as you move into the lower age groups within the seniors, but they don't look good. So overall, we've hit about 64% for people who have had two doses of a vaccine. This is below the 70% target that has been delayed twice already. So, you know, you are looking at this bottleneck. We've um, been hovering around 63 64% for quite some time now. So it's been hard to hit that target.
1: Okay, Claire, but on the other hand, how has the news the borders will remain shut gone down with business leaders and the general public?
0: Well, Rachel, it depends on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, I think it doesn't come as a surprise if you ask business leaders who, in general, want the borders to reopen, right? So particularly for the Western business leaders, you know, they say foreign companies here are frustrated with the fact that, you know, there's tough quarantine rules up to 21 days, which makes it hard, which makes it hard for the executives to travel home. People don't really want to relocate here for work until the rules are lifted, But if you ask local businesses, the priority is kind of different. The aim is to reopen borders with the mainland. And this is something that's obvious because Hong Kong's economy is obviously closely tied to the mainland. So if you ask the expats, though, they're (laughs) exasperated. They cannot go home easily. So some of them are packing their bags, they're leaving Hong Kong for good. Uh, But I think this is a phenomenon that is not unique to Hong Kong. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. We're speaking to Straits Times Hong Kong correspondent Claire Huang on the latest situation up in the city there. Speaking of Carrie Lam, Claire, last week she also delivered her, well, it would be her final policy address for this term. What were some of the
1: biggest takeaways?
0: Well, on the political front, she noted that Hong Kong is now back on track to being normal, you know, with the national security law, with patriots governing the city. So the government will then be implementing the Article 23 of the Basic Law, which is uh, the city's mini-constitution. So Article 23 uh, is more expansive than the uh, national security law imposed by Beijing. And uh, in terms of housing, which took a huge chunk of the speech the government is going to develop a new metropolitan area in northern Hong Kong for people to live, work and travel. So this, the proposal is about 300 square kilometers and it will cover the Shenzhen-Hong Kong Boundary Control Points economic belt as well as deeper northern hinterlands. So upon the full development of the entire northern Metropolis. We are expecting about 900,000 to 926,000 residential units to accommodate a population of about 2.5 million. And since we're on the subject of housing, you know, uh, today Secretary for Development Michael Wong has said that um, the uh, a minimum flat size for private units could be set as early as next year. So Hmm. a study is going to be launched on this soon. And Mr Wong says he expects the minimum size to be slightly bigger than 210 square feet. On the economy, um, Mrs Lam was talking about how the government will ramp up efforts to support, you know, the Hong Kong exchange uh, and clearing limited to enhance the listing regime, to establish, you know, a listing regime, regime for special purpose acquisition companies in
1: Hong Kong and things like that. So just to rewind a minute then, Claire, is Carrie Lam expected to seek a second term? And if so, with just six months to go, why has she not confirmed her candidacy?
0: Well, word is out there that she has started campaigning, but she's never come up to say that she will run. And, you know, with these things, it's simply too early to tell. Yes, even with six months to go, it's too early to tell. Uh, Although some quarters now say that uh, Financial Secretary Paul Chan you know, has thrown his hat in the ring with an endorsement from Executive Council Member Regina Ye who said that he, he qualifies as a candidate for um, the chief executive position. So if you ask political observers, they will say that there is no clear indication from Beijing at the moment as to which or who they support. Very interesting news that came out earlier in the week with the mainland's liaison office in Hong Kong putting out a list of 500 measures it wants Hong Kong's leaders to implement after an outreach drive with thousands of residents there. What are some of these measures and what do they exactly mean by wanting these measures to be implemented? Well, in a departure from the normal low-key style, right? Beijing's liaison office in Hong Kong Assembled a list after consulting, doing groundwork yeah, with uh, local residents over the past few weeks, so director its director Luo Hueni, met with almost four thousand local residents in late September and early october and the topics are what we already know you know things like housing, youth mobility, wealth disparity, and economic uh, interests. One of the things that you can take away from such a move by the liaison office is that it is showing the government and senior government, Hong Kong officials, that whoever will be the next leader, they need to be close to the ground, basically be seen, listening to people.
1: Okay, Claire, very quickly before we let you go, a sculpture commemorating the 1989 Tiananmen Square crackdown hit a deadline from China for its removal from a university campus. Just wondering, what's the latest on its removal and how significant is this for the city?
0: Well, people here have been visiting the University of Hong Kong to look at the um, sculpture that's named Pillar of Shame. Now, Hong Kong U wants it removed, but the Danish artist who created it wants it out of Hong Kong. So I guess it works both ways, you know. Uh, it's understood that no immediate action was taken as the deadline on Wednesday passed, but the artist has said that he prefers the artwork be shipped to the US or Europe for exhibition, but he's asking for more time to do the transfer. Now, if you ask human rights groups, uh, they will tell you that the removal shows how fear and self-censorship have spread in the wake of the crackdown on civil rights in the city, you know, and that China mm-hmm. wants to erase history. But um, uh, this is the reason given by a Hong Kong U to the removal of the statue, is that it belongs to an external organization which had publicly announced their disbandment. Now, by this, the university is referring to the organization
1: Hong Kong Alliance, which was loaned the sculpture by the artist. Okay, Claire. Well, thanks for that update. Claire Huang, their Hong Kong correspondent for The Straits Times. Claire, take care and stay safe.
0: The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and our audio app, That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.